There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, referring to John the baptizer. And this is the apostle John writing a different man. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is God's word. Isn't that a wonderful account? of the Christmas story, and we're going to have a look at it today. One of the things I I love about Harvest is that we seek to be a transformational church, and that's because we serve a transformational God. When God looks at the earth, he sees things not as they should be. Um, There's just mess all over the place, and he is in the process of transforming the world and transforming us into what we should be, what we should be like. And we, as a church, want to be a part of that transformational process. We want to engage not only on a personal level, but also in our community as well, um, partner with God in bringing transformation. And I think it's great news because... The truth is that I don't think anyone alive is really happy with the way things are. So all over the world, for example, on the the first slide you'll see people are unhappy with what mankind is doing to the environment. And then next slide, there are riots in Hong Kong because things just aren't to people's liking. They're not happy with the way things are. And same goes for France in the next slide. Yellow vest movement. Um, was really cooking about a year ago, but there's still evidence of it right up until today. Um, And then if you just, on the next slide, if you visit a bookstore, you'll realize that most humans are just fundamentally dissatisfied with themselves on a personal level. They're not only unhappy with their environment, they're not only unhappy with the world, but they're just unhappy with themselves. And there are just literally tens, hundreds of thousands of books talking about change and transformation and how to do it. And I wish I could get a hold of this book because if I followed those 101 positive thoughts, maybe I could be a different person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the problem is that with, with all of this is that everyone just has a completely different take on transformation. Everybody is preaching a different word, if you like. And Britain is a good case in point. And Brits obviously believe that things could be better. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. But they can't agree on how to get there. So if you look at the next slide, um, good old Boris, he reckons that it's going to be sorted out if, uh, if they get Brexit done. And then in the next slide, um, the only reason why anyone voted for him is because he came to the polling station with a dog, <laughs> a cute dog, and he kissed it on the lips as well, which is why the dog is kind of like trying to, oh, trying to clean its lips. Um, and so today's passage teaches us that all the voices 
um, that, that, that there are all these voices which are preaching, if you like, a word of transformation, um, and that they can be grouped into two voices. And each of these two voices has its own essence or defining characteristics, and we're going to have a look at those today. So I'd like to explore, first of all, God's word, and then, secondly, the world's word, and we'll see how the world's word differs to God's word in essence. And then we'll have a look at how we need to respond with a word that is in line with God's word. It's a word of testimony. So first of all, God's word. God's word is a person. Next slide. We'll start. Uh, oh, sorry, there's the, the roadmap in case you wanna, you're taking notes. Um, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So the first point is that God's word is a person. You can see the pronoun there. He was in the beginning with God. That's a personal pronoun. Um, so we're going to have a look at some things that we can learn. First of all, the word was preexistent. It says there, in the beginning was the word. In other words, the word was in existence before space and time were created. So in the beginning was the word. And then things started to happen. And of course, this is uh, pointing back, John is intentionally pointing back to the Genesis account of creation, where it says in the beginning was the word and it was hovering over the, over the face of the deep. Let's just reflect on that for a moment. If the word that God speaks existed before the creation of all of this, then don't you think that that word is pure and untainted by all of the mess that we're in? Don't you think that his voice would be a better voice to listen to than the voice of some man, for example, like Boris, or some self-help psychologist? So that's the first point about the word. It's a person, it was, he existed before the creation of the world. And then the second point is that he is God. The word was with God and the word was God. We're just starting to reflect on this amazing message, if you like, that God sent us at, at Christmas time, the little baby in a manger. Third point, he's a different person to God. So there's this repeated emphasis here. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was there in the beginning. And what He's trying to do there, or not trying, He's done a very good job, is He's showing us that it's one God in two persons. So the Word is a different person to God, and yet He is God. So He's pre-existent, He is God, He's a different person to God, and then He created all things, if you look at the next slide. So all things came into, into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So from that, we see that he created all things. All things came into being through him, and then he states it in the, in the negative, and he says, without him, not one thing came into being. Just making it absolutely clear that everything, absolutely everything, was created by Jesus. And then he is the source 
of life and he sustains all life. That's the next point. He is the source and the sustainer of life. I love this. It's confirmed once again in Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Listen to this. The sun is, next slide, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and, I, and this is my favorite bit, and in him all things hold together. Isn't that incredible? Everything that we look at around us holds together because of Jesus. If Jesus didn't exist, poof, it would be gone in a puff of smoke. Then the next slide, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, from Hebrews 1 verse 3, listen to this, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So not only did Jesus create everything, but he continues to sustain it. It's not as if the world was like a clock that got wound up and left to tick by itself, no. Jesus is intimately involved in everything that's going on. What do we get from this, folks? I, I just think it's hugely encouraging to know that if Jesus designed and built the universe, and that means that his word um, is dependable. If he says this is the way things should be, and this is how we could get there, then we need to listen to his world, word. It's not only dependable, but it's essential for us to hear his word. And it's also of infinite value. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And so surely he has something to say about the running of your life. How do you live in such a way as to receive that sustaining life that keeps things going? It's very heartening to know that. Jesus knows. And he's actively involved. And we need to find out from him how he wants us to sustain our life, how he wants us to carry on things. Let's skip down now to verse 14 on the next slide. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. And from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. So he was preexistent. He's God. He's a different person to God. He created all things. He is the source of life and he sustains all things and keeps them going. He became a human being. That's the next one that we're gonna have a look at now. The word became flesh. He took up residence among humans like us. And all the commentaries tell us that the word for dwelling used here is employed in the Greek Old Testament for the tabernacle of God. Remember at that time, the Old Testament was read by most people in Latin, uh, sorry, in, in Greek. So in other words, Christ is where God took up residence in Israel, just as he did, sorry, God, Christ is where God took up residence in Israel, just as he did when he camped with them in the tabernacle in the desert. So the glory of God, which was once re restricted to the tabernacle, was now visible in Christ. The Word became a human being. And this is also a relief, because think of it, Jesus knows what it's like to be a human being. This is how the writer of Hebrews put it in the next slide. 
We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God didn't send some dry sermon or some technical argument. He sent a person who knows what it's like to be human. He knew what it's like to be tired. He knew what it's like to be excited, to be depressed. All of those emotions that we experience, he experienced as well. But it said there in the previous verse that we looked at that he was full of grace and truth. And this is the seventh thing that we learn about the word, that it is full of grace and truth. I think this is wonderful. Do you remember what Pilate asked Jesus? It was a rhetorical question. He said, what is truth? And it's one of our biggest challenges, isn't it, as human beings, is to discern which voice is telling us the truth in any particular situation. And Pilate had actually come to the conclusion that there was no such thing as absolute truth. And there's many people today who believe that as well. They believe that truth is subjective, but not Christians. We believe that Jesus is the truth and that he is full of truth. But there's another thing. If he's full of truth and grace, why would the Apostle John have said that? And I think it's because truth without grace can be hugely devastating. I don't know if you've ever had somebody come and tell a brutal truth which actually you knew to be true, but it was told in such a way that there was no grace. And you know, Jesus could have come and he could have said, you guys have all rebelled against God. This is the truth, you deserve death. But he also came with grace, didn't he? He said, yes, the truth is that you have rebelled against God and you deserve death, but instead I'm coming and I'm gonna take that punishment in your place. I'm gonna clean up the mess for you. You should have been cleaning up your own mess, but I've come to clean it up for you. And so he's full of grace and truth. And if we ask for forgiveness, he'll give it to us. So the last point is that he reveals God's glory. You know, if you're exploring Christianity today, I'm afraid that the Bible and Jesus himself doesn't leave a lot of space for you to view Jesus as a great moral teacher whose teachings and ideas can be considered among those of other human beings or that maybe you could take certain of his teachings and ignore the others. If you just consider what we've been saying today, that Jesus was pre-existent, that he's God, that he created all things, that he sustains all things, that he alone is full of grace and truth, and that he is the exact representation of God's glory, in other words, represents his character and his attributes perfectly, then we've been saying that this person, Jesus, is God himself. And we, we just can't leave any room for saying that he was a good teacher or a good moral teacher because if he made those claims and he wasn't what he said he was, then he would have to have been a lunatic. Um, so if this is God's word coming to us in a person, then we need to take him seriously. So I'd encourage you at this Christmas time to investigate Jesus. There's more than enough evidence, both historical and biblical, 
about to describe who he was. Um, and we just need to ask that question. Is it possible that this man who lived 2,000 years ago could have been God's word to human beings? And wouldn't it be good news if he was? So let's continue unpacking the passage. Um, just to the next slide where we'll see um, a summary of all of those qualities of Jesus. That's who God sent us at Christmas time. Let's move on to, to the world's word now. Um, and that word is rooted in rebellion. Just notice there in verse five that it introduces a note of conflict. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now the verb that's used here has two possible meanings. Some of you may notice it in your translation. It means either to grasp with the, the mind and so to comprehend, or it could mean to grasp with the hand in order to overcome and destroy. And most commentators agree that the second applies in this context. So it's the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it rather than not understood it. So the darkness in the world has not destroyed the light. Jesus, the light, came into the world as a human, but there was darkness in the world which sought to destroy him. Ultimately, it sought to destroy him by, by executing him on a cross. Let's skip to verse nine, where we'll see more evidence. There it is, um, of the conflict and the opposition. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own people, in other words, the Israelites, the chosen people of God. For centuries they'd been prepared for his coming through the words of prophets, and yet they didn't accept him, many of them. In John's vocabulary, the, 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 the word world, cosmos, is an important theological term. It appears 78 times in this gospel alone. In some cases, it's positive, where, like for example, God so loved the world, John 3.16. Other times it's neutral, but for the most part, references to cosmos are decidedly negative. It's, it's referring not to the order of things that we see around us or creation, it's rather um, referring to that sphere of creation that lives in rebellion against God. And that world's voice, that voice of the world, which is in rebellion against God, suppresses the truth. Have a look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about it. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And he goes on to explain how the attributes of God can be discerned from nature. So people see that amazing um, representation of God and his attributes in nature, but they suppress the truth. So it's a voice of rejection. That's in essence, the, the, the voice of the world is a voice of rejection. I was reading a, a commentary by a man called Bird, Burge, um, and he illustrates this by describing a late night commercial by a hypnotist who promised to bring prosperity, passion, and power if anyone was prepared to purchase his CDs for uh, 40 US dollars each. And um, if you look at that, those promises are an admission 
that things are not well. People are looking for prosperity and passion and power. But they also unveil the emptiness of the world's solution. Because in essence, what people are saying and what the world is saying is that, yes, things are wrong. Here's how to sort it out, but you can sort it out without God's help. You don't need to involve God in your life. You don't need to submit yourself to his plan and his way of doing things. And ever since Adam and Eve did it, man has been rejecting God's word. We've been speaking a word of rejection and rebellion. Why do, why do, things, why do things God's way? People say, let's reject him and come up with our own way of putting things right which doesn't require us to, to have to obey him. So God's word is a person. And the, world, the world's word is rooted in rebellion and the rejection of God. And this brings us now to, to our word. And our word is a testimony. Let's, let's read verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. Our responsibility, folks, is to point people to Jesus as the one who defines the way things should be and how to get there. And any genuine transformation can only begin with a personal transformation. We need to tell people that only Jesus can tr transform their hearts for the long run. And he does it by giving them the power to become his children. Next slide. But to all who received Jesus, who believed on his name, he gave the power to become children of God. Think of this. A father hands down his DNA to his children. And so if I'm born of my father's seed, that means that I carry his characteristics and not those of other men. So ever since the rebellion of Adam and Eve, we've inherited the empty way of life that was handed down to us through our ancestors. Each of us was born of perishable, rebellious seed. No man and woman can procreate and give birth to a child of God. Only God can do that. The Apostle Peter says that we need to be born of God, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That's on the next slide. How can we expect folks to carry the characteristics of God, all of his power and his beauty and his peace and his immortality if we've been born of the wrong seed? And yet people will clutch at immortality by doing all sorts of things that the world's voice tells them to do, like exercising and dieting and funny surgery, plastic surgery. People are scrabbling for power and security by making money. But the reality is, we're not gonna get any change through that particular word because a banana seed is not gonna produce an oak tree. It's only gonna produce a banana tree. And so if you wanna see transformation in your life and in the lives of other people and spilling out into our community, we need to become agents of transformation like Jesus. We must be born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now you can see what the imperishable seed is 
that produces a child of God. Can you see it there? It's the word that was preached to you. It's the living and enduring word of God. To all who received Jesus, who believed on his name, he gave the power to become children of God. How does that seed take root? It must be received. Do you see it there? How is it received? It's received by believing in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name represents who he is. In other words, that he was pre-existent, that he's God, that he created all things, all of those things that we talked about. And if you believe those things, that belief will be reflected in your actions and then Jesus will give you the power to become a child of God. So just in closing today, to encourage you that if you want to experience personal transformation, don't be listening to the wrong voices because that voice that comes from the world is a voice of rebellion. It rejects God and his truth and his effectiveness in our lives. Instead, we need to be turning to the voice of God who is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And then for us as a community, it's imperative that we don't only see this in personal terms, in individual terms. We need to recognize that God is wanting to partner with us, just as he, as he partnered in a sense with Jesus, to bring transformation. So we do it through the word of our testimony. We bring that word, we preach it, whether it's through our actions and our behavior and our lives or through the spoken word, we preach it to people. It's an imperishable word. It's an imperishable seed that will bring rebirth in people so that they carry God's DNA, that they themselves will be imperishable, that they will have the power to become sons and daughters of God, the power to change and to power, the power to change things around them into, into what God wants it to be. Shall we pray? Father God, just so aware of our own frailty as human beings this morning, but even more aware of your unimaginable glory that was revealed to us through Jesus. We thank you so much that you've given us Jesus Christ, the living word. We thank you that we can reflect him once we've become sons and daughters of God. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would change our perspective this morning. I pray for each person here at Harvest who has already become a son or a daughter of yours. I pray that they would see their lives, different, lives differently as they move forward into the week. And for those who, who are seeking um, and are just wondering, could this be true? Could Jesus be God's word to me? Could he be everything that he claimed to be? I would encourage you to, to keep persisting in your searching. It may um, require you to come and chat to, to myself or someone else that you, you, you know and, and um, respect as a believer. It could be getting back into the Gospel of John maybe, carrying on with what we started reading today. But I would encourage you to do it. Whatever your decision is this morning, um, make a decision to take some next steps to get to know this amazing word that was sent into the world at Christmas time. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.